Hello and welcome to the 831 Podcast. We're back. It's been a while, I know. Sorry about that, guys. We um, I've been super busy, really busy. Olympians MMA is back open, so I've been teaching a lot, been training a lot myself, um, worked back in full effect, obviously, post-COVID lockdown. So, yeah, been busy, basically, but we're back, basically, is what we're what I'm getting at. So, it's lovely to be back. This is episode 48. A lot's gone on. A little bit of housekeeping. I'm going to breeze through this. A little bit of housekeeping. As always, long-term sponsors will forever be the sponsor of the podcast. Trojan Nutrition, Trojan Fitness, Bristol. They've always looked after me and we will continue to look after them. Ridgeway Fitness, Sweatbox MMA, Pedro Bassa, BJJ. Um... All fully support myself and I support them back. So look them up for any of your training needs in Bristol. Pedro Best has been my jiu-jitsu club for forever. So look that up. Come and have a roll. Um, EJ Hair Clinic. She did some micropigmentation on me recently, which you might have seen. Absolutely fantastic. If you're bold or balding and want to get your hair line replaced. But basically, it's just like small tattoos, hairline pigmentation. Emma contacted me and asked if I'd do like a little promotion for her and she'd take care of it for me. So I said, yeah, why not? I've never really worried about being bold in the slightest. It doesn't bother me. And I had it done. I must say, I, I love it. It's absolutely brilliant. Even though I wasn't paranoid about being bold in the first place, I absolutely love what's been done. It looks like I've got just a shaved head constantly. You wouldn't ever know that I was going bold in the slightest. I absolutely love it. EJ Hair Clinic. Look them up. Instagram, etc. Well worth a consultation. And Emma's absolutely lovely. So please check that one out. Okay, so today we are joined by John Kelly. There's only a short one, this one. You only had an hour to slot it in. So it might feel a bit rushed. It is. I want to get loads of questions in. John's like one of the most respected ultra runners, um, endurance athletes in the UK, if not the world. Some of his achievements are absolutely phenomenal. Um, Random Forest Runner, I believe it is, on Instagram and social media. He has a blog. Yeah, the stuff this guy's done and doing is absolutely incredible, what he puts his body towards. And you should have a look at it. Look it up. Uh, have a listen to this and then follow him. Please give him some feedback and let him know that you enjoyed the podcast. It, it really helps getting him back on and getting others within his community to talk to us. So, yeah, I really enjoyed it. John said he loved it. John really came to life after the podcast was finished. We spoke off air a little bit and he really came to life as well. And uh, we are going to get back on and we had a great conversation afterwards. And I'm going to take him out paragliding and stuff. So, yeah, look forward to seeing him in the future. If you've got any suggestions of people I should contact for these, let me know. Or get people to contact me if you think they'd be a great conversation piece. But in the meantime, this is episode 48. This is John Kelly. Please enjoy. Okay, John, thank you very much for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, It's absolutely my pleasure. Uh, For the guys who are listening, lots of people are obviously going to uh are going to know who you are and then lots of people who follow my podcast for for me or for paragliding etc maybe won't know who you are so i mean i would introduce you as probably one of the most uh prominent and successful ultra runners definitely within the uk i think i think that's fair right 
Uh, you know, there, there's a lots of, lot of different niches in ultra running, um, but but in some sectors, uh, yeah, I, I think so. <laughs> How would you introduce yourself? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm an endurance athlete, so mainly focus on mountain ultra running and kind of the longer and the uh, the worse the conditions, the steeper, the, the hillier, the, the better I tend to do. <laughs> a sucker for punishment, we call that, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, <laughs> I guess I deal with it a bit better. I think that's one of my talents, not so much being fast, but just uh, dealing with it. Yeah. So where where does the boundary, um, where's the, the line for ultra? What When does something become ultra um, in the eyes of, I don't know, the regulatory, if that's the, the right terminology, when does it become ultra? Uh, technically, as, as soon as you go past a marathon. So, okay. you know... 26.3 miles would would technically be an ultra uh generally the the shortest distance out there that's run on a regular basis is is 50k mm -hmm. uh, yes, just a bit bit longer than that but there's races now that they go all the way up to 200 miles or things that span entire weeks yeah i've seen um Obviously, the Moab 200 is quite a, a famous one, isn't it? So I've seen, I spent a fair bit of time in Moab base jumping. So um, I know the terrain out there. And then when I first heard about that, I was obviously, uh, for some weird reason, I've been sort of um, obsessed with ultra running and ultra running documentaries and stuff for a long time. I have no reason why, because I'm by no means a runner. I run mainly to to help with weight loss if i've got fights coming up i used to put in a 5k a day just to help like you know a fasted 5k to help burn extra calories to help make fight weight i'm um i'm a mesomorph definitely um i'm you know like 5 10 85 kilos i wasn't built for doing any sort of running so but for some reason i love the idea of long marathons long ultras because i'm I'm assuming that it takes you to mentally, it takes you to a, a very dark, secluded place that you only really hit within those periods of your life. Yeah, it's uh, definitely the case. And, and to me, that's one of the things that's uh, appealing to me about them, not in a masochistic sort of way. I think that's a, a bit of a misperception a lot of people have. Um, but for me, it's about putting yourself in a, a situation where you are in, in that deep place and, and you're you're facing, you know, here are my strengths, here are my weaknesses. Everything is magnified so much uh, to an extent that you learn so much about yourself and, and how you handle uh, those sort of, of deep, desperate situations. But you're doing it in, you know, in an environment that all for all intents and purposes, it's it's pretty safe. You know, we we're fortunate to live in a world where we're not getting chased by lions and, and we're not having to run from gangs of thieves on a regular basis on the streets. You know, we're we're pretty safe. Mm -hmm. uh, but putting ourselves at the edge and, and putting ourselves at those kind of boundary conditions that we no longer experience, uh, I think, teaches us a, a lot of valuable lessons. Yeah, I, I, too many too many people are comfortable, right? It's I think there's a certain I, I think the more uncomfortable you make yourself, 
the more comfortable you become in lots of other facets of life. I mean, I've found that with obviously being punched in the face is not comfortable for many people, but you get so comfortable within that environment, being punched, being choked, being arm locked, that you get so much more comfortable in other facets of life. And you look at things in a very much like, well, this isn't going to bother me kind of way. And I think that I, I think more so with, with what you do, I think that mentally is going to create that you're going to become mentally so much tougher through the endurance side of things. Cause I have to endure at the, at the most five, five minute rounds of someone punching me in the face. If it's really horrible to endure hours, miles, like hundreds of miles, days, you know, it's yeah. The toll must be full, full on. I can imagine. Yeah. And, and you know, it's, it's a, uh, totally different type of, of pain and experience. I, I'm not I'm not hurting, uh, I think, to the extent that you are uh, getting punched in the face. But like you said, that's there's a lot more in front of me. And it's, it's mentally hard to convince yourself to, to keep going when you still have so much left. And that is something where you just continually get stronger. You continually learn from being in those situations before and you realize that, hey, I, I can I can pop back from this flow. I, I can get through this. I, I can keep going and, and here's how we're going to do it. And like you said, you know, that, that applies far beyond running. Um, you know, I've, I've had that mindset at, at work and, and many other things of thinking, you know, I've, I've done this, this crazy race before I, I, I can do this. No, no problem. We, we got this. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, it's surprising how strong, uh, well, it, how you don't even realize, basically, you shrug things off so easily. And then other, other people will just mention something to you, I guess, like, oh, you deal with stuff so well. And you don't even think about it because you're not even really dealing with it. It's just coming gone because of the stuff that's been there before. Um, so when did it start? How did it start? You're obviously you're you're from the States. You were you in high school? Were you like a distance runner or how how and where did running start and how did it get to where it is now uh so yeah I, I ran growing up i ran track and cross country in high school i was i was good i wasn't great at it and then uh in in university i uh, i didn't run much I, I went the the intramural sports route uh I, I don't know if you have intramurals here but just uh kind of groups of teams within the university get together and square off and so yeah. i spent my my time uh, doing that and uh, didn't really get back to running until about um, I was almost 30 and wow. kind of decided, you know, I've I always wanted to see what I could do at longer distances. And I realized that if I I wanted to see what I could do that, you know, I, I needed to do it. <laughs> it was, time was kind of running out before I started inevitably uh, declining a bit. So. Signed up for a marathon, uh, went at it really with uh, completely horrible, awful training, and it was a <laughs> terrible experience. <laughs> and uh, came away from it and said, you know, I think I can do better than that. Yeah. So I did, and I just kind of kept progressing, and it, it snowballed from there. Of well, marathon things going pretty well now. I think maybe I can go a little bit farther, and then a little bit farther, and it just progressed to the point that you know I, I realized I was I was pretty good at these kind of long multi-day things how so how 
how far into the marathon running were you when it evolved to something longer? Was it, you know, you've done three, so you're like, I've got this, I can handle this now, let's go. Or was it a case of, you know, you've been running marathons for a couple of years and you thought, well, if I'm going to do it, I need to start pushing for something bigger now. So what, one of the, the big goals of a lot of marathon runners is, is to qualify for the Boston Marathon. Mm-hmm. And so that was my goal setting out. And I did that, but I, the way that the timing worked, I qualified for it, but then I couldn't actually run the race for like a year and a half. So I kind of said, and that was, that was three, three marathons into it, uh, I guess a year after my first terrible um, marathon. <laughs> and uh, that's, well, I, I should keep myself in shape. What else is there? And I decided to try out trail running and, and try out uh, triathlon and uh, it, you know, it, went from there and decided to to stick with those things even after i i ran boston so are, are you living in the states at this point because you're in you're literally around the corner pretty much now you're in bristol um the same as myself so at this point though are you in the states still or did you already come over here yeah yeah i'm, I'm still in the u.s at this point um I, I moved here about two years ago uh in in 2019 and at this point uh, we're back in, in 2015 uh, mm-hmm. when I kind of started progressing beyond marathons. Yeah. So, so and and, you're, you're from Tennessee, right? Yep. And so yep. what's the, is there like a, a big scene in Tennessee or because I, I would imagine a lot of longer distance running, the, the community is probably quite small. Although, I mean, it's probably not going to be like your local running club. There's 10 people, but it's, I should imagine it's quite small within the realms of running. Yeah, it's it's definitely, um, you know, a, a much smaller group. And in the U.S., with it just geographically being so large, it's it's pretty spread out. Uh, mm-hmm. Here, you've got a pretty good density of, of fell runners and Scottish hill runners and the like um, that, uh, that are that are out doing these things. And uh, in, in the U.S., it's it's much more dispersed. Uh, so it, you know, but gradually, you go to these small races and and things in the U.S. We we call them fat ass events, where there's there's no wards, no aid stations. It's basically just a glorified group run uh, with a start and a finish line, and you get to know these people, and it's just it's it's an incredible community. Like just uh, everyone everyone I've met through it is is just an awesome person. Yeah, it's uh, well, I guess like we, it's a very solitary, solitary sport. I should imagine because even with the big group, you're you're isolated for a big part of a run. I would I'm imagining. Um, so it's a very solitary sport, I would think. But at the same time, the only people who know what you're going through are the other people who are going through what you're going through. I guess. Yeah, yeah, definitely so. Um, and that's that's kind of one of my first big races uh near my home where i grew up uh in tennessee it's it's called the barkley marathons uh and so it's it's pretty notorious and there's been some documentaries to where now it's fairly well known uh outside of ultra running but in that first one my my crew was my dad and my wife and you know there are other family members there that just right down the road where I, I grew up and uh, they'd never seen anything like this before. And I'm coming in in between loops and they're looking at me and they're like, do we need to call an ambulance? 
<laughs> he needs to go to the emergency room and uh, everyone else that's been there before. Nah, get him some chicken soup. He'll he'll be good. <laughs> I think and, uh, we definitely need to touch on the, the Barkley Marathons because so about two years ago, I put a post up on Facebook. I've got lots of friends in, in America. I've spent a lot of time there myself. I've been 30 or 40 times and I lived there for a year. And so I've got and I posted up. I've just watched this documentary on the Berkeley Marathons. I need someone on my podcast who's done it. And nobody got back to me with somebody they knew who had like competed. So I was like, oh, so I kept chasing, kept following. And then whenever you said to yourself and you said, yeah, obviously it's, uh, you're probably fed up of talking about it by now because it probably gets more attention than some of the other great stuff that you've done, which I do want to talk about, obviously like the, the, the grand round and stuff, that sort of stuff. But the Barkley marathon is so different and so unique maybe you could run the guys through what qualifying's like how you actually get in and then how you did in 2017 yeah uh so it's it's pretty pretty difficult just to get into it uh there, there's kind of a, a hidden application process that just filters people down and and then beyond that only 40 people can run it each year because of uh, regulations by the park that it's run in and to kind of maintain uh, the the feeling of uh, solitude while you're out there of, of people being isolated from each other and, and not crowded uh, so I was I was able to get in and in 2015 kind of just before the documentary came out and it exploded uh, and it's it, it is a a unique race uh, you know you don't know the exact starting time and until an hour before it starts it can be anywhere between midnight and noon uh, and it's mostly off trail uh, the, there's no marked course no gps or electronic devices allowed you just have your map and your compass uh, and there are various checkpoints uh, books uh, throughout that uh, you, you have to find and kind of verify that you followed the course but it's uh it's covered in briars and, and rocks and uh, just horrible terrain and completely unpredictable weather. Uh, and you have uh, 60 hours to finish. It's probably around 130 miles and, and there's around 70,000 70, feet of uh, ascent throughout. Uh, so 15, 15 people have finished in, in a bit over 30 years. Yeah. It's uh, so touching on the book thing. It's right that you get a page from a book. So you're page 10, let's say every book you pass, you have to grab page 10 out of that book and bring back with you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so that, that just verifies that you uh, hit all the checkpoints, followed the course and it's, it's five loops. So then the next loop, you get a new number and you have to, to go get uh, that page out of all the books. And it's one loop one way and then reverse loop back the other way for your next loop. Yeah, he started changing that in recent years to where it can be pretty unpredictable uh, which direction you head. But yeah, there's there's a lot of reversing back and forth. And when you're out there in those woods, uh, that, that can make a, a pretty huge difference. The, the forests are, are so thick and everything looks the same uh, heading the opposite direction. It's, uh, you know, it, it can feel completely different. And I mean, this is a race that's based on people escaping from prison. That's how it started, or jail. That's how it started, right? 
Yeah, so there's a uh, th there's a maximum security prison uh, there located near the course uh, that has has housed some some pretty uh, notorious criminals. One of them was was James Earl Ray, uh, the the man who assassinated Martin Luther King Jr. And so he he broke out of prison uh, at one point, and he was gone for for around 60 hours and when they found him he was just a, a few miles from the prison kind of curled up in the fetal position and uh the the race director kind of as, as, as mockery of him that's all that's how far he got i, I could get 100 miles in, in that amount of time and, and so he made this course uh and and the terrain is is so rough and i mean that's why they put the prison there um that that's that's a really hard distance to cover uh, in, in that amount of time. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, obviously I, I watched the documentary. I see it twice now, in fact, and um, it, the terrain is unbelievable. I mean, lots of the people around here or who listen um, maybe will imagine, you know, a rough, a rough walk down snuff mills with some stinging nettles and stuff. But this is like real terrain people coming back with like severe lacerations from bramble and gorse and stuff on their legs and there's a, you have to go through like a stream and stuff so you're wet as well so it is some real horrible terrain um and it's through the night it's you you could be woken up at any time as you said so it could start at 1 a.m so you're running them through the night, body clocks all up to up to cock as well, and you're racing. It's pretty intense. Yeah, yeah. The the year I finished, um, the first two years, it, it started at like 11 a.m., like a nice morning, late morning start. But it, you know, you're up. I was up pretty much the whole night both those years, thinking, what was that sound? Did, did he did he just blow the cock is it about to start did i miss the start and you're just you're freaking out and you, you can't get any sleep and then the third year I, I finally like i got to sleep and was down for a nice full night's sleep and then he blew the thing at 12 42 a.m we started at 1 42 a.m so I, again I, I i got pretty much no sleep it's a he blows a conch shell uh, and then that gives you an hour, and then he stands by the gate and smokes a cigarette, right? And when the cigarette's finished, that's when you go. Yeah, well, when he lights it. Um, when he that, lights that's, it. That's, yeah, that's when we start up. That, that'd be even more cruel if we had to stand there and, and uh, wait and watch him, watch I him think, finish. <laughs> I think that's why I'd, that's the sadist in me. That's the bit that I wanted to do. <laughs> I watched it. So, um, but, so you just said then the, the year that you finished. Now, you obviously finished uh you finished it and in 2017 right you finished it for context how many people started that year how many finished it and at what how many had finished it previously at, at that point uh so there's around 40 people each year uh and i was the only finisher that year um one other my my friend gary robbins made it agonizingly close um and mm -hmm. and didn't quite make it um but so I, I was the 15th finisher and the 17th finish there there are two people uh one who has finished twice and one who has finished three times um but that that person and my jared campbell he's the one who's finished three times uh it, no one has finished since i did 
Um, and no one except for Jared or I have finished since 2014. Wow. Just, it's just mind-blowing that something like a something like this exists it's just crazy because when i first stumbled across it on netflix i was like what the how what and so i watched it and of course i was telling everybody have you seen this and a few people had seen it now i would say now i'm probably one in five people seen it it's still very like it's not very many people still who i speak to have seen it maybe one in five and uh then when you watch something like that then you i'm getting to speak now to somebody who finished it but not only finished it but the last person to finish it it's just insane that this thing exists and you guys go out there and run it and then there's still now so few of you that have actually completed it you know because i guess there, there's people out there who are training specifically for it right yeah and it definitely does require some specific training it's it's such a unique event there are some things you have to do to prepare yourself that you wouldn't do uh, for most other races, and and you've really got to to de to dedicate yourself uh, to it for a, a good chunk of the year. Yeah, it's uh, it looks it, it looks insane. I mean, for for yourself, I don't know what how is it um, is it as tough as I would think it is, or is it for someone like yourselves? It's more the um more of the novelty side of it as well that makes it so appealing to you you know do you, do you undertake the challenge because it is that much of a challenge or is it sort of one of those things well uh, it's not it probably wouldn't even factor in my top five but the not the novelty side of it makes it such a prestigious race for me uh definitely the challenge and it's it's very appealing to have something that is going to stretch you to your absolute limits you, you know most other things that we do like i do a marathon and and i finish uh and it's it's kind of like well could i've could i've done more i i don't know like people finish and that tells you you can do that but that doesn't tell you what your actual limit is whereas a challenge like this it's going to stretch you until almost everyone finds their limit and it's it's right there it's right when they when they stop or they quit or they get timed out and and the race directors even joked they you know the the people who go home and empty-handed are the ones who finish because they're the ones who didn't get to find out what their limit is mm -hmm. um, i'd say i was pretty much at it when when i finished uh in, in all <laughs> fairness but that that was the main appeal for me uh and, and then also again the fact that I, I grew up right there um it was it was really meaningful to me uh to to get out there and, and run that race in those mountains yeah so is it when did the race start when was the first year i believe 1988 so you'd heard about it i guess being so local is it quite well known by you uh so i mean we we kind of knew there were some crazy people that came and and ran around out in the woods uh once a year but it's it's a real rural area uh running's not much of a sport there not even uh you know the local high school doesn't even have a track team uh and so this sort of ultra running uh definitely isn't on their radar and it wasn't in, until uh much much later on uh kind of towards the end of university that i really learned about it and and it was more through uh long distance backpacking hiking uh that i was doing at the time that, that i heard, heard about it wow it seems great like even that just goes to show that even when you live you know i mean people shouldn't think that 
you know, uh, a lot of the states are like it being in Bristol. It's not like it's at Ashton Court and you lived in Ashton. You know, it's it's a very different thing being in Tennessee and it being just around the corner is not not the same thing as it being in Bristol and just around the corner. So there is that. But even so, for it to be in the same state and it's still got that that air of mystery that even the, the local people don't really know what it is. Just goes to show it just how. Yeah, I, you know, it's got a, um, a huge romanticism for me because obviously I watched the, do- the documentary and I seen it and I was like, this is awesome because that that's me all over. I love wildness, craziness, people who who want to go out and do extreme things. That's what I'm drawn to. Other people would they want to stay in their comfort zone. But I look at that bar, uh, Barking Marathons, I'm like, not only is it crazy, not only are you guys off your head, but, you know, the, the bringing a, a license plate and the, the bringing stuff from your, all that sort of stuff really interests me because it's wacky, right? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, definitely a unique experience. And it's, it's. I mean, like you kind of alluded to, outside of the challenge, it's, it's great to have things that are, are just a bit different. And that's it, you know, it's, it's been great for me, even just living in a different country and experiencing all the, all the little different things, the little food, different foods, the the different words, everything else. Um, it's just, uh, adds a good bit of spice to things. Yeah. So are you, are you going back? You'll run the Barkley again? Uh, sometime. Yeah. Yeah. I was actually there, um, in, in 2020, uh, and uh, had, had took a trip home to, to see family and, was going to combine that with the Barkley, and and so then COVID hit and the race got canceled and so I was there but the race wasn't uh and then this year uh the race went ahead but I I couldn't take the time to travel back given how long I would have to quarantine on both sides and, and yeah. everything else uh so I, I I wasn't able to make it so one of these days yeah I want to go back and uh see how the course has been updated and, and see what I can do so i guess um like your sports is one of the things that covid is not not hit so bad i guess it's been good that you've been able to get out and run and still maintain like for for myself obviously the gym was shut for a long time rolling around with other sweaty men is not conducive with fighting off a a global virus you know Um, there's there's a, a a cleanliness that doesn't go with rolling around with sweaty men um so but yourself i guess it, I, has there been like a big influx in the the running community because of you've been able to do it you guys been able to get out and run uh so you know i was able to, to continue my training ju- just fine uh as most people were if if they could stay motivated uh and kind of stay on top of all the life changes it, it brought most races for a while were were canceled those are uh, at least hill races uh trail races those are mostly up and running again so that's exciting to see uh but last year i I focused my efforts on on these sort of individual challenges where uh, it's another thing i love about the sport is kind of the creativity you can have and making these new things and so i went out to test myself and and go for a a record uh on a well-established uh, trail here that the Penine way and and then kind of completely made up my own thing uh, later on in the year uh, to uh, tie together a bunch of fell running challenges and and cycle between them so the the Penine way one there's the documentary it looks like totally fucked but it's totally FKT right for um, fastest known time yep yeah yep. so that's uh, that documentary's on Amazon I believe 
right um yep it's 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 on amazon and and vimeo or uh vimeo however you say it um and, and a couple things but yeah amazon video on demand has it yeah so that's i mean i started watching that. i've not finished it i've started to watch that there's now that's a great documentary for anyone in the uk to to sit and watch because it's familiar terrain we're in the uk we know the, the we know the weather we know the climate we sort of can understand you don't have to have have been there but you know you know what dartmoor looks like so you know what exmoor looks like or you know what the lake district you can sort of relate because it's within the uk and that's that's a great documentary for people to watch and understand your um what you do and the other one which i am going to talk about shortly the the grand round the the documentary on youtube about that is really cool and people should definitely watch that but i wanted to know what your because you said you'd still been able to train a bit and stuff what what does training look like for you week to week daily basis you know food wise and stuff and then how does it change if you've got a race coming up uh so it's it's not as much as a lot of people would assume uh, you know, time-wise, back when I was doing triathlons, that that was taking up a lot more time, uh, getting in the long bike rides and having to go to the pool uh, and everything. So right now, uh, I'm mostly training about 70 miles a week, which is around what serious marathon runners would be doing. Uh, there are some ultra runners out there who who you know do twice that type of mileage, but they're they're mostly full-time athletes whereas i've still got a, a day job uh, and and a family um <laughs> i actually i just i keep this hanging up on my my door for work calls and just put it on over top of my you you're wearing uh, nothing shirt. you're it's, wearing nothing below the shirt right you're sat yeah, yeah. your boxers just ready to chill <laughs> um but yeah so th that's that's about it for me. Um, and so it's, it's worked really well and I've been able to, to do that and, uh, not suffer burnout or, or injuries that, that some people, uh, who do super high mileage do. And so going into something, uh, like I, I kind of am right now, actually, I'm, I'm in a, a bit of a taper, uh, where I'll just ease off the mileage a couple weeks out and kind of let my body recover and and rest up and and be ready to go for the start so you, say, you say 70 miles a week how's that divided every day running and you just think right i'm just gonna pang today and if i do 10 miles a day i'll try and do another 10 tomorrow or do you have set running days or how, how does that yeah I, I usually rest uh one day a week it's uh usually on my current schedule it's it's sundays uh have a long run on saturdays uh have one kind of higher intensity workout that's on Tuesdays uh, and then the rest of the week is, is mostly uh, kind of medium distance easy with a few strides and, and a few hills thrown in here and there. Uh, everything I do, uh, by the way, is, is, is on Strava. I've, I've been working with uh, David Roach, uh, a coach based in uh, Boulder, Colorado, uh, for, for a couple of years now and that's that's been great for me to just kind of be able to uh, not have to worry about setting up my own training schedule and, and whether I'm doing enough. Uh, it's, it's been a big stress relief to not have that, that pressure anymore. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm guessing just from reading stuff about you, watching some documentaries and stuff, I'm guessing that you, you're one of the unique guys because you seem very mentally strong. Like I, 
from being a coach more so than from being an athlete, I think you recognise different attributes in people. And I, I've taught guys who are technically very good, but mentally, you know, it's a work. My, my, I'm there at fight night. I'm there for you mentally. I know that. And, and there's other guys who I'm there to be with physically. I need to be ready to tell them when to do something or I need to watch it. and might make a mistake here. Now, from seeing the way you talk, the way that you've um, explained things in some of your blogs and stuff, you seem to me that the mental aspect is your strongest attribute. Um, I don't know if you if you'd agree with that, maybe, and possibly that's why your training is you're able to train the way you are and keep your body in good shape because mentally you can push yourself possibly a bit further than others. Yeah, I think that's definitely one of my biggest strengths. Uh, I used to honestly think it was kind of my my only uh, strength in, <laughs> in doing these things. Uh, again, I I was by no means a star runner in in high school. Uh, I've never been like a champion 5K runner or anything like that. Uh, so the longer the distance gets, of course, the more important uh, the, the mental attributes and the factors other than speed become. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it becomes a lot about a lot more than just pure, raw physical talent. Uh, as I've progressed and as I've kept training and kept building up my base and my fitness and everything else, I, I think I have genuinely um got fairly fast Uh, again you know i'm not going to be going out and uh competing in the olympics and the marathon or anything um but relative to uh kind of the the average runner i've I've got a a decent amount of speed now but that that has followed uh in my eyes that has followed the the mental strength you you think you think that's because you didn't care about the speed the speed is come because you didn't care about it or you cared about i'm only assuming here as well like you were more focused on i want to complete this because this is my goal not the sub so and so time is my goal i'm going to complete this this is my goal and then mentally all the time you're talking to yourself of just push you know your goal get through this get and then the times come because you weren't so much focused on it you think yeah i it's it's tough to say. I think that most people and the things they do um, when they get started, that their confidence comes from being strong at a particular attribute. And so I was I was strong at the mental game. And that's that's what I feel like led to my initial good results that gave me confidence. And, and then I kept kind of embracing that and, and building upon that. But at some point, if you want to keep progressing farther, you've got to you've got to raise your game and 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 the other attributes as as well because you kind of hit the ceiling uh and you know i'm as mentally strong as as i'm ever going to be uh so if i want to keep getting better i've i've got to work on these other aspects i've got to work on my speed my strength and my endurance and and everything else that goes into uh uh, these these multi-day events yeah yeah that makes it from i mean i've done uh one real maybe a couple of others but only one that i would call sort of an endurance event really and it was um there's a paragliding race there's two big paragliding races really called the x pier and the x alps the x pier is you start at one end of the pyrenees and you're only allowed to hike or fly all the way to the other end of the pyrenees and you have to tag 10 waypoints they'll be set certain sectors so instead of it just being sort of 600k a 600 kilometer um crossing it could be 1100 kilometers because you're zigzagging across it um Mm -hmm. now 
my longest day I think was 47 miles hiking that day. You 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 don't run. There's no way you can you can run in this race because obviously you're you're seven to nine days on the on the ground. Um, and I remember it come day three. Well, day one I completely messed up my diet and got severe cramps. And then come to day three, my feet had took a bit of a pounding. And I remember waking up in the morning. And I put my shoes on, and as I pulled them on, I was like, oh, no. And you take, like, five steps out of the vehicle, and you're like, oh, this sucks. Maybe I should be in my other trainers. Maybe these aren't the right trainers. Then you take 50 more steps, and it settles a bit. Then you're a quarter of a mile down the road. Then you can lift your legs a little bit more and don't rely on the poles as much. Come an hour, I've not got the poles anymore, and it feels easier just to move my body. I, I guess I've got sort of that much of an understanding that, you know, when I woke up, I thought, you know, I think I'm dead here. There's no way I can push on today. But then once you keep moving and you start going, my feet suddenly were no longer a problem. I'd still get like calf pains and stuff, but my feet were no longer a problem. And I think that's the draw for me was that, oh, I can, there's pains that I see or pains that I feel, but mentally I've got through them. You don't really get that in, in MMA and fighting other guys in, in cages. There's not, the endurance side of it. So to prepare for that was so different for me. It was so, you know, I didn't really know how to push myself through much more than we train. So you train less than you, than you work less than you compete. I train 10 times more for an MMA fight because I'm training for three, five or five, five minute rounds. Well, I'll do two hours in the morning, six days a week, two hours in the evening, six days a week, you know, all the way up to the fight. So I'm mentally pushing myself constantly more than I need to, other than when you're in a fight, someone's really elbowing you in the face trying to separate you from your consciousness. But other than that, it's not anything you haven't seen. I guess you're never taking your body to those extents. And although I did in in that one race, I pushed that far. um, To be able to keep doing, keep going, is something that many people aren't going to to realise they can do. And I guess my point is... um, like at what at what point do you think it just became or do you think it still is an ongoing process where you can say no i can go further no i can go further because having watched the grand round it's called the grand round right the, yeah yep. i haven't watched the, yeah i haven't watched that um seeing your descent at the end there i'm like at what point in your head is there a point in every race where you're saying fuck i can't do it fuck this is the end i'm not going to make it is there does that come in every race or does it never come now because you know how to silence that noise so yeah you you've got to be able to pull from previous experiences to know that that again you you know it it can get better and and you can keep going but then the other thing is just to, to not focus on how much you've got left at any one of these things if i stand at the start and think about how much i've i've got left it's it's pretty overwhelming and you know it'd be tempting to say right there nope i'm out uh but you know focus on one one peak at a time one obstacle at a time uh when when i'm hurting that bad it's it's not hey can i get to the finish it's can i get to the top of that hill or can i get across this stream or or whatever just just one step at a time Uh, I, i know one guy that even just continuously repeats uh, 30 seconds to himself that, you know, he, he says, I, I can, I can always run for 30 seconds. Uh, so he runs for 30 seconds and he starts over and says, okay, just 30 seconds to go. And just, just keeps on, keeps on repeating. 
so just breaking it down into little chunks that are mentally manageable is is huge and, and you got to learn how to do that but then also stretching it to, to kind of what you referred to where you're training more than you're racing and uh it, you know at that point it, it might seem like you have a long ways to go but relative to all the training and all the work that you've put into it you, you're pretty close to the finish uh, even even when you're st- standing at the starting line yeah, that's the beginning of the end, right? The, the yep. as soon as you start. I mean, it, for me, it was it, during that endurance thing. Um, the X pair, even the sound of my like when your walking poles hit concrete tarmac, the little click, click, click that became meditative because I could focus on the next click, the next click, as opposed to focusing on blister hurts, blister hurts, foot hurts, knee hurts. You know, it just click, click. It became quite meditative, and so I imagine there's lots of instances like that for yourself. Do you, so do you use any music or anything, or are you just alone with your thoughts and you like to to fight it out and grind it out? Yeah, I've I've considered using music before in these multi-day things, mainly just to stay awake. Uh, I never use it in training, <laughs> um, but you know, I've always thought that maybe if I can, you know, blast some some good music uh, when I start to get tired, that that can help keep me alert. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, I'm, I'm mainly just inside and in my own thoughts uh, when I hit that state. And you train that way as well, just you know, just to go out on your, just mentally get on with it and just don't listen to music. Yeah, yeah, and I mean when I'm training, that's that's really that's also kind of the one part of my day where I I can be uh, undistracted, n- not attached to something. So it's it's kind of nice to have that just free free moment for the mind without having to listen to anything (laughs) so the grand round um i was when i saw it i was like this has got to be the hardest thing he's ever done like there's like i looked at it and then i saw it and then i had to go away and sort of look at it on paper and and really sort of compute what it was that you were undertaking i was like this has to be the hardest thing this guy's done. There's no no two ways about it because, as you'll explain exactly what it is, but then the bit where you go from each section, I mean, it seems to me that there's so many sections within one section, within one round, and then there's three of them. So, you know, let us know, A, how your crazy brain came up with it, and then B, how it evolved, I guess. Yeah, so there's uh, three big classic fell running rounds in the uk uh the the most well known is the bob graham round in the lake district uh, and then there's also the the patty buckley round in snowdonia in wales and there's uh the charlie ramsey round and the, the lockerbur hills of scotland uh near fort william and and with ben nevis uh, included there and so these rounds are, are meant to be completed within 24 hours. And so it's a it's a big fell running challenge to, to complete these rounds and, and that time uh, individually. But I came over here and, you know, I, I want to see and explore as, as much as I can uh, while I'm here. And I, I love mountain running and I, I love cycling. And so I said, you know, I'll. I'll see if I can have a go at, at all of them at once, uh, fit them all in and, and ride my bike in between them. Uh, it sounded like a, a pretty fun adventure and a, a good challenge. Um, it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> now, I, I probably have 
a lot more knowledge of the hills than uh, lots of other people because I paraglide. So we paraglide a lot around Snowdonia. Um, I cross-country paraglide main, mainly, so I take off in one place and try and use the thermals to fly as far as I can. So the Lake District is a really well-known place for paragliding. I paraglide in the Lake District a lot. Uh, Scotland infrequently i try and go every year but it, the weather can be quite bad but i know sort of some of the hills that you're talking of and i've had to hike up them once in a day to go paragliding and you know it's not just a, a stroll up penifan on a sunday afternoon these are this is proper hill running and then for you to say yeah and I ride my bike in between and then so how how many peaks are you hitting in each round i know people can go on and google this but um how many peaks are you hitting in each round so the snowdonia round how many peaks have you got to hit uh it's it's 47 there which you know that that one's a bit some people would it, it is 47 tops but some of them are kind of you know a rock pile along a, a ridge line that you, you wouldn't mm-hmm really qualify as a top whereas the ramsey round in scotland has only 24 peaks but every single one of those peaks is a legit uh big mountain that, that you're going up yeah and i get going up's not the problem right i guess going downs the, because i find going down when i was w- running in mountains the the, the the descent was worse than the ascent from my body is it the same for yourself yeah, I mean, that, that can definitely, that, that's what can wreck your quads and other parts of your, your, your legs and potentially cause injury. Uh, you know, and it, I would say initially uh, going up is harder, but after a long enough time, the going down just breaks you down so much that that's what's going to cause the, the big fatigue and the potential uh, injuries and uh you know towards the end of mine yeah that's definitely where i i i developed some really bad tendonitis in one of my legs and i would have done anything to just be able to go uh up the rest of the way and (laughs) and not have to descend anything else (laughs) um so each round each one of these rounds you've ran before uh i had not run the ramsey round uh before this Okay, and how did you get on in the other two rounds previously? You set good times that you were happy with, or? Yeah, so I mean, my goal here was to to do each round under 24 hours, and so to kind of not go much faster than that to try to conserve my to, to pace myself uh, for later on, and so that that went pretty well uh, on on both the first ones. Uh, th- this this was actually my second attempt at it. The first time I attempted it, I. I also completed uh, the uh, Patty Buckley and the Bob Graham rounds, but then I I hadn't properly scheduled sleep and everything else, and kind of decided that it was uh, unsafe for me to cycle up the A82 into Scotland with uh, lorries flying by every five minutes. So <laughs> I I called it uh, that time and scheduled more sleep for this past year. <laughs> so what are we talking if we were to lay the distance out of each run how much are we talking distance wise in 24 hours for each of them do you know what uh, the so linear it, distance may be yeah it, it varies a bit um because you know the the idea is you're hitting each of these tops and so again 47 in wales 42 in the lake district 24 in um scotland how you get between them is is kind of up to you so there's a little bit of variation there but generally 
uh, each one is roughly uh, 100k, uh, you know, 60 to 65 miles, uh, with roughly 24,000 feet of ascent. Wow. And so you've set yourself 24 hours for each challenge. So you're talking 100k in 24 hours. Um, and then what's the protocol then? You're, you do the run, you sleep, or you do the run, you get on the bike. Yeah, so I, I tried to uh, sleep between each section of this. So I had the, the each round and then the bike. And so I tried to sleep on both ends of the bike mm -hmm. uh, to where I wouldn't need to sleep during the round uh, or on the side of the the, the road uh, out, out when I was cycling. Uh, so I set it up to where my goal was to, to do each, including each bike section uh, within 24 hours. So that, that includes the sleep. So generally it would be run two or three hours of sleep, uh, cycle to the next round, two or three hours of sleep before starting the round. And so when you say cycle to the next round, what are we talking about mileage there? Because we're not talking round the block. Yeah, the uh, the first one from Wales to the Lake District was was around 170 miles, uh, and then from the Lake District up to Fort William was around 230 miles. Just you, do you cycle regularly anyway, or is it something you had to really add in for this? So, uh, like I said, I, I did triathlon for a while. Um, I actually I went pro for one race just to kind of say I did before I retired because um, I, I knew I'd be going full time to ultra running. Uh, so and, you know, I was I was always pretty good at the run and the and, and the bike. I was horrible at the swimming, I, just <laughs> not good at all. Uh, and so that's one interesting thing that I have found, though, is that time training for triathlon and just building those neuromuscular connections for cycling like I could pick up my bike and within a few training sessions, like I'm feeling pretty good on it again. I'm not feeling yeah. tip top, like peak triathlon shape, but I'm feeling nice and strong and like much stronger than I ever would have been had I not gone through all of that triathlon training. And it's yeah. it just, you know, it, it comes back quick. Yeah, definitely. Would you say, what what would you say your preference was in an, in in a race like you sorry not a race in a challenge like what you were doing was there moments where you were just like, i'm so glad i'm not i'm on the bike now and i'm not running or were there moments where you're just like oh, i'd do anything to get off this bike and just be running do you feel more comfortable just being running or was it just you know this is this is the part of the race that i'm in i'm just happy being here now yeah it was uh pretty pretty focused on the moment uh each time but it was nice to have that kind of variability and, and transition and you know if, if one thing started hurting near the end of the run or the the, the bike I, I could tell myself well yeah you're almost done with this and then you'll be something you'll be doing something different and, and it won't hurt as much uh you know i had started to develop a bit of the tendonitis near the end of the bob graham round uh but then that didn't bother me much on on the bike uh fortunately uh, it was still there when I started the third round in, in Scotland, um, but I, I had a, a reprieve from it for a while at least. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, m most people have never done one length of that time on a bike. So to relate it to 
putting it in after what you've already been through the 100k running and uh, over felt it's just it's insane i mean i i love this sort of stuff and even i'm hearing it and i'm like the guy's fucking insane because you came up with it like you you came up with this thing when you were coming out of it was there not a point we were like well, maybe I could make it like we'll cycle, but maybe we'll jump on the train for half of it, <laughs> and we'll get a sponsorship from the railways. Like what? You you were purposely just looking for something that was going to be massively. Were you also thinking in your head, I'm going to do something, and no one else is going to want to under, undertake as well? Well, you know, that's one thing that's been interesting for me is is I have heard from some people that are, are interested in giving it a go, and I I think it's a it's a great trip it's a great journey especially if you you kind of set your own schedule set your own time goals you don't have to try to do each part within 24 hours but mm-hmm. it's like most of the things that i run most of the things i run i tell people yeah that that would be a great hike like that'd be just a wonderful multi-day hike to go out take the family on it, it'd be uh, it'd be good whereas i one of the reasons i started running these things is because i didn't have time to hike them all uh <laughs> and but yeah, I've, I've heard from a, a few people, actually, I've, I've been pleasantly surprised that are interested in taking on the grand round. One guy is actually interested in, in doing it unsupported, which is, you know, that's that's next level crazy. Yeah. Um, no one to to resupply him uh, along the way, uh, starting and, and finishing with starting with everything he needs to finish except for uh, water from natural sources. That's just that's, that's unbelievable. Yeah, that that's that's unbelievable. That is crazy. I mean, it's just I guess that's the thing with these uh there's a, one man's like normal or comfort is another man's crazy, which is what I guess we we expose here because you're obviously an intelligent um n- for want of a better word, normal guy. There's nothing like obscenely weird about you, but you undertake these crazy things that for most people will seem absolutely insanity. And do you know, is there a parts of you where sometimes you think, why the fuck am I doing this? Why am I not, why can't I just be happy just sitting down, eating sweets and doing nothing, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's uh that definitely happens sometimes. Sometimes it happens just going out for a, a training run on a day that I would rather just sit around. Uh sometimes it it almost always happens at some low point uh, during these events themselves. And it's it's kind of it's one of the ironies to me that when you hit those low points, one of the things that it gives you is is, is it really forces you to realize what's what's valuable to you in, in life. Like what when you're at that absolute lowest of lows and everything else is stripped away, like what remains, what remains that's still on your mind? and that you you still want and so you know i'm out there shivering in a named windstorm in the scottish highlands five <laughs> days into this thing and i'm thinking just want to be home with my kids like yeah. just want to be home with my kids and like the irony is that i'm not home with my kids because i'm out doing this thing that forces me to realize that i just want to be home with my kids <laughs> so there's there's a dividing line uh, where, you know, up to a certain point, you can reap some great re- rewards from this and, and it, it pays off. But go beyond that and you start to get diminishing returns where you're you're losing out on, on more than you're gaining from it. 
Yeah, it's, some people hear what you say, and lots of people think, "Oh, yeah, that's these runners and stuff." They get all hippie and stuff like that. But it it becomes at an, an athlete level when you start to partake in anything that pushes you, where you have to mentally question what you're doing physically. Because not many people have to mentally question if they're going to go out for a five k run to burn a bit of weight. You know, any sport where you have to mentally question what you're putting yourself through physically, I think it does become that sort of cerebral hippie sort of um give you that hippie sort of aspect to your life where you think well actually it strips it back and it just makes me realize what is important to me it's not having loads of money in this moment it's not this in this moment it's these are my goals i really want to achieve my goals and whilst you're in the middle of achieving your goals it's oh i value the things i miss right now which is just the 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 happiness and comfort for you your your kids and your your family yeah yeah absolutely yeah, it's uh, it's it's an an interesting one, definitely to to speak to someone like yourself and understand that the psychology is not that within sport, the psychology is not really that much different. I mean, wh- where you can take yourself and how you can push yourself over those multi day events is still absolutely nuts. But the psychology within the athlete's mind is not that different. And I guess like you would say, listen, I'm I'm no I'm no one special. I'm a guy, like everyone can do it i think that's the the main thing for lots of people don't realize is it look you just got to get off your ass and keep pushing yeah yeah i mean i i would have told you you were absolutely insane even a few years ago uh, if you told me i was going to do some of the things that i'm going to do and i think that all of us have a limit somewhere um but until we re- until we really start pushing and exploring where it is it's it's so far out of sight that that we have no idea we have no idea what it is and so it's it's taken me a, a lot of years and, and a lot of um kind of building up incrementally to doing these things that i've gotten to the point where i think i'm within sight of it and, and i kind of uh know where it is at least and you think it's uh I, I i already know the answer to this i'm sure but you think it's helped you become a better father a better husband a better person you think all these things are attributed to to other aspects of life yeah absolutely in in many ways but again it's just a matter of of ensuring that i don't let the uh the 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 time lost uh outweigh those benefits uh, there, there will always be diminishing returns and you know on one hand i'm a competitive uh, athlete, I, I guess professional, as far as ultra runners are concerned, uh, and and you have to chase those diminishing returns if you want to want to be at the top. Uh, but you've you've got to balance your priorities in life uh, against that as well. Yeah. What, so, what's longevity like in the sport? How does it look? I don't know what the competitive. All I know is from being an athlete when my body's sort of diminishing. What's the longevity like for yourself? When's it diminishing? Um, when are you getting to the point where you're thinking, right, I can't really push now. I'm still going to do it, but I'm not. My peak's going, and I'm not really there anymore. Uh, so people tend to last pretty pretty long uh, in the sport, and I, I think it's a matter of it takes so long to build up the base um, and the experience. Uh, that the sport takes that by the time people's raw physical abilities start to diminish, uh, they've progressed so far in in their training and in, in their experience that they're still able to compete with those people that physically 
are more capable but don't yet have that experience and and that that training base built up so you know damian hall the the other guy and totally fkt who also just uh lives right over here in, in wiltshire he is uh, he's 10 years older than me he's he's in, in his his mid 40s and he is still competing at, at quite the the high level and still out there breaking records wow we'll have to get a um we'll have to get uh, one of these scheduled with him, I reckon, because I think it's so nice. Jiu-jitsu is such a great sport that we, we give it to lots of guys who are 40s, 50s. They can't compete with guys who are 20 or wanting to be world champions, but, you know, they can come and they can take a different side of the sport from them. So to speak to someone who's that next step uh, up in the age category and show he's dealing with uh, with something like, like this would be fantastic. Definitely be good to speak to, to someone like him because I'm very much into like, the sports psychology has been my favorite part of what I've done for so many years. And when I talk to you, it's like the psychology that interests me. And maybe, you know, you get, you're, uh, I know you're, you've got about an hour or so with you, which is brilliant. And then maybe when you go get back from doing your next piece, we can have a talk and maybe have a, a talk about what psychology you've used, what books you've read and how you've approached things that you think have helped you. And uh, it's something we can do in the future. Yeah, sure. Um, and you, you know, I've, I've enjoyed it. You've, you've got quite the, uh, interesting background yourself and it's it's been uh, i always enjoy getting uh, different perspectives and and discussing these things with people who who do have different backgrounds um although i i have paraglided once my, my wife got me a lesson for my birthday one year it was oh uh, yeah did you enjoy it i did i didn't get too far off the ground i don't I, either the wind wasn't good or i wasn't good or oh or something. we'll change that um, no but, we'll I'll take you. We'll go and we'll go local to here, like Westbury White Horse or somewhere. We'll pick a really good day and we'll go and we'll have a day. We'll try and get you a couple of thousand feet up, let you fly it and stuff. We'll go, definitely. <laughs> well, have, have you ever done a wingsuit? Yes. Uh, so okay. I've Those done, um, I, I've done, I've got about 600 skydives um, and I've done a few wingsuits out of a plane and some wingsuit base jumping. Um, and I've got, some of my friends were really high, highly respected in wingsuit and I've done some of these podcasts with them, but a few of them have died as well, wingsuit base jumping. And yeah. I'm just like, in order to be great at it, you have to keep doing it. In order to keep doing it, you have to be great at it. And for me, the reward wasn't worth the risk. It didn't do enough for me. I, yeah. I like to jump off of buildings and cranes and like to pretend I'm James Bond and pick locks and stuff. And that's really cool. But when I go paragliding, I can take off of a hill get on a thermal next minute. Like the other day I flew from Mere in Wiltshire by Longleat and I flew up to crew 229 kilometers. Now oh, wow. it's seven and a half hours of flying. I can do seven and a half seconds of wingsuit base from somewhere off of a, off the side of a hill. It'd be super dangerous. Or I could take off for seven hours and I can go paragliding with something that's really technical. So for me, I'm more drawn to that side of things. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, with, with me again, r running, it's people might think it's, it's crazy and, and extreme, but at the end of the day, if, if it's, if it's more than I can handle, I, I stop and I sit down like, yeah, there, there are some dangers associated with it, of course, but it's, it's not the extreme dangerous thing that, that people uh, make it out to be. Yeah. I mean, I, I saw in um, the grand round, I did see that you, you hiked a little bit here and there. And I thought like, that's really cool to see that, you know, like it's not a race where you're bashing your body, but you're listening to your body and you're deciding when's, 
when's best to, to run or when's best to slow down a little bit, which is, for, I guess that's the key to longevity, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, ultra runners aren't going to be running uphill. It's just, it's not, it's not worth it. Um, yeah. The speed you get from it is not worth the, uh, the, the fatigue that it causes. Uh, so that's, that's a big part of the strategy is, is learning how to, to properly pace yourself. Yeah. I mean, mate, listen, it's, uh, I'm going to let you go. Cause you said you had about an hour or so, and I don't want to keep you from your family and stuff. So I'll let you go. Um, I've loved it. I could honestly, I'll talk to you for if we if you were just sat there, we'd talk for three hours. I don't, I've got so much that I want to draw from you. Um, but let's try and get another one in. I'll take you paragliding and we can talk about that experience as well. Um, but I'm really, I, I may honestly, I'm over the moon you did this for me. And what, how can people follow what you're doing? What do you recommend that they go and watch that you've done? What should people on the follow up to this? How should they stay in touch, and, and where should they watch what you've been up to? Uh, so I've got a blog. It's it's randomforestrunner.com, and that links to most of my social stuff. Um, as, as you mentioned, there's a video on uh, totally FKT on Amazon, video on demand, uh, the Grand Round on the Wainwright, or sorry, on uh, on YouTube. And then I've got the uh, the Wainwrights uh, coming up here soon that I'm going to be taking on the 214 peaks in the Lake District. When does that start? Uh, here here within a couple of weeks. Uh, so, you know, these things are a bit conditions dependent, but it's uh, that that's what I'm tapering for uh, right now. So let's definitely up catch up after that, because that's. Uh, Wayne Wrights is really well known for paragliding the the hill. Um, Scuffell Pike, all around that area is really so. Lots of our listeners will know the area. So let's have a catch up after that, definitely. Um, yeah, people can just or they can just type your name, I guess, into Google. You're you're very well known. That'll come up. But uh, I just did want to ask the random forest runner. Is it that you run in random forests or you're random and you run in forests? So it's it's a bit of a play on words. My day job is a data scientist, and one of the algorithms we use there is called the random forest algorithm. Uh, okay. So it's it's that combined with the fact that yes, I I love running through random forests. <laughs> I'm glad we got that cleared up because it has been it's been on my mind wondering where the name came from. <laughs> um, John, honestly, mate, thank you very much for this. Um, this will be out, you know, later on today and I'll get it shared and, and copy into everything. But thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Enjoyed it.